Hello and welcome to part 2 of episode 12 of Grassroots, the only podcast focused on the Grassroots women's game. When we decided to do an episode focusing on mental health, we had an amazing response from teams and individuals with stories and experiences to share. What you're about to hear is four interviews, each different, focusing on how mental health has affected them personally and how they have found rugby to be a common denominator in the treatment and support. Some of this makes for tough listening, but I think you'll agree it's an important part of our rugby lives both on and off the pitch. First up, we're here from Claire at Stafford Ladies. Claire has battled depression throughout her life and has found an unusual use for Piers Morgan. Next up are the fabulous Jazz, Rosie and Ruth from Stourbridge Panthers. Can Stephen then talk about their club's approach and how mental health support is woven into the fabric of the club? And we finish up with Nick Joyce, who talks about balancing family life with sport and the challenges of caring for somebody with a mental illness. If any of these stories resonate with you, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. I'm joined today by Claire. Claire Ricks is a player at Stafford Ladies and Claire's been listening to the podcast over the last few months and has agreed to join us today to talk a little bit about mental health. So welcome to Grassroots, Claire. Hello, are you well? We're all well. Well, we're not all well, are we? You've got COVID. I've got a miserable cold and a slight hangover and we're out here on the eve of New Year's Eve feeling a bit sorry for ourselves. So we'll do our best to sound positive and upbeat. That's right. Just peachy. Yeah, albeit quite a difficult subject. So Claire, tell me a bit about your journey in rugby anyway. I've watched rugby all my life. I was the, the token female going down the pub with my dad and my brothers, uh, watching the Five Nations as it was then. Oh, wow, that is going back. Remember when a try was four points? Yeah, <laughs> took ages <laughs> to get used to being five, didn't it? I tried to play rugby in my 20s back in the last century at Stafford and it didn't really go anywhere. And then I then moved on, had family, blah, blah. My daughter and my son started playing and then the ladies who were parents of the girls who were playing wanted to start a team so that girls had somewhere to go to. And I was really excited about it, but also terrified of contact. That was the one thing that was stopping me. And then I started training, played the first match in horizontal sleet, I think it was. It was absolutely hideous. It always is, isn't it? People's first training sessions are always in foul weather. It was unbelievable. And then discovered a love of contact, which came as quite a surprise to me because I'm only little. So played since then. So we started, our first season was 2019 and then obviously COVID happened and then we've just sort of carried on from there. But I think during COVID, we did a lot of training sessions via Zoom. I say training, mainly drinking alcohol and playing silly games with the occasional um, high intensity activities on a Sunday morning. The team really grew in that time actually and we had new players turn up and we'd like people we we knew online but we'd never met in person when we came back to training i'm a, a little person but i play on the flank and occasionally i get dumped in the center when we haven't got enough backs so going into the new year you're expected to go in with vim and vigor and ambition and resolutions and all of that but the reality is it can be a difficult period for people with their mental health. Claire, what's your experience of mental health? Well, I've yeah, I've had depression at various points in my life, clinical depression and then also what you'd probably just class as low mood. Sometimes it's it's for a reason that, you know, from the outside looking in you go, "Oh yeah, I can see why that person is depressed." And other times it can be for something that people just go, "Well, what she got to be depressed about? She's got a family and a job and a quite a nice home life." It doesn't work like that. So for various reasons I've suffered from depression. I've taken every antidepressant there is on the market and had different forms of therapy over the years. And now I'm kind of at a point where I don't take anything, but only because I can't. None of them suit me. I think I just got to a place where I've kind of worked out in my own head what I need to do 
to stop it or to recognise it or to kind of give myself a bit of a talking to and move on and find the positives. I'm non-medicated, but I can still drop into low mood and I can sort of feel it happening. But I haven't had clinical depression for quite a few years now. How would you describe the feeling of being in a depressive state? It does creep up on you, I think, when you sort of realise that you've stopped living and you're kind of just existing. All those little things that you would find pleasure in or joy or contentment or whatever, they either don't help or you can't find the energy to do those things. People sort of say, oh, you know, pull yourself out of it and you can do these things to make yourself feel better. But when you're actually clinically depressed, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like, oh, you know, I know this makes me feel happy, so I'll go and do that. You haven't got the energy to go and do that. I think the lethargy is a huge warning flag, I would say, if you are struggling to either get to sleep, stay asleep, stay awake, anything around sleep that's unusual for you, I think would be certainly something to make a note of and then just observe it. If it changes, if it gets better, then perhaps it is just a blip if it continues. So I don't sleep very well as a general rule, but I would find myself then struggling to fall asleep, but then being exhausted in the night and not being able to sleep, but then sleeping in the day and choosing to go and have a sleep rather than get up and face the day. I think certainly for me, it was an initial, oh, that's a bit of a trigger. Don't get me wrong, I love a nap. I'm a great believer in having a nap when you can have a nap. Um, Very underrated naps, I think. Ah, they are, and they're great. But I think when you're choosing to either go to sleep or stay in bed rather than do something else, that for me would be a bit of a warning sign. You touched on it a second ago, Claire, and it's something that I personally found extremely difficult was you know as a active person what makes you feel better you know what you need to do to lift yourself out of the mood that you're in and so on your illness prevents you from doing that to some degree doesn't it you know i know i always feel better if i have a bike ride if i go cold water swimming if i just kick a rugby ball around my friends I know all those things make me feel better, but the lack of motivation and energy to do that can be crippling. But it also sends that emotional response to your brain that I'm useless, I can't do this, I can't even be bothered to do the things that I like, which exacerbates the problem. What have you managed to do in the past to help with that? I think there's a couple of things, really. I think we're very hard on ourselves and we have massive expectations and we're all kind of aspiring to live this ridiculous fake Instagram life where everything's jolly and and marvellous so we're actually really really hard on ourselves so my first thing is treat yourself how you treat your best friend so if your best friend say I'm struggling I haven't got the energy to do anything you wouldn't say to him or her just get on with it and do it you would support you would listen you would sit and have a cup of tea with them you would just give them time and space to just be what they were so I think firstly learning to do that has helped give myself a break I'll move on tomorrow. I might do it. I might not do it. Allowing myself the freedom to not always have to perform, to be amazing, to be this wonderful human being who's you know on it all the time. Because sometimes you can't be asked. And the second one is you just mentioned it about like the voice in your head. Many years ago, I decided to give that voice a personality. For me, it's Piers Morgan because I can't. St- <laughs> I don't know why that's made me laugh, but of all the people like. <laughs> I would have thought of. I wouldn't have been that person. Oh, God. I cannot stand that fucker. I, honestly, um, <laughs> as soon as he starts talking, I switch off. I absolutely cannot listen to a word that he says. So 
the voice in my head that tries to tell me I'm not doing something well or I'm not enough or whatever is literally Piers Morgan telling me that. So I do not listen to it. Every time it starts, I'm like, yeah, chip, 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 chip. <laughs> I would say find your Piers Morgan, whoever that is for you, assign that voice in your head, that person. And then it's really easy to ignore them. I absolutely love that. That's such a powerful way of looking at it, isn't it? That voice isn't you. It isn't you. It's no. your illness, isn't it? And yeah. you know, you have to treat mental illness as you would a leg injury. You yeah, know, absolutely. It, it's something that if something's broken, there's a process you go through to fix it. Yeah, there's um, a healing process and it right. takes as long as it takes, doesn't it? Whatever that thing is, it takes that period of time. And everyone's okay with that. If you've broken your leg, that's fine. You know, if you've I don't know, sprained your ankle, everyone's going, just sit down, rest it, for goodness sake, what are you doing? They don't give you that same freedom when it's your brain that needs resting. How has rugby helped you? It's probably the first thing physical exercise-wise in my life that I've done that I really bloody enjoy. There's stuff that I quite like doing and there's stuff that I will do because I know it's good all-round exercise and all that. But if you ask me, you know, do you want to go or do you want to stay and sit on the sofa? I'll sit on the sofa. (laughs) Um, But with rugby, it's everything I thought it would be for me because I absolutely love rugby. So playing it is just ace. And that gives you a real boost. The team is just um, a disparate group of completely awesome women and men who coach us and really, really supportive. Yeah. Daft women who all have one thing in common. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd probably have met any of these people if it wasn't for rugby. Because of rugby, because we've all got that, it doesn't matter that we're all very, very different. Do you know what? I think that's probably one of the things I value most with my experience with rugby. Because of my job, because of my socioeconomic background, I suppose, because of my upbringing education, I wouldn't necessarily mix in the circles that I do through rugby. I wouldn't therefore benefit from the rich tapestry of people that I meet. We often joke at our club about we're a bunch of misfits that have all got some fairly quirky personality traits. Yeah, absolutely. But I absolutely love that. I love that one of our, my friends is an archaeologist for a living, for example, and sitting chatting over a pint with her about digging up bodies in Iraq from the second century BC and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's fascinating and sort of experience I would never have normally had. But it also can be intimidating, can't it? Because I think one of the challenges I've certainly experienced, and I know this to be true from talking to, to my friends in the game, that when you're in a depressed state or your mental health is not particularly good at, uh, at any particular time, mm. it's that feeling like everybody else has got it together and you haven't. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah know, and I've gone haven't. to training sessions as a coach and I felt like I'm a total fraud, that I'm I'm an absolute joke almost that everything I say and do is based on a lie, you know, which is nonsense because I've got loads of experience. I'd like to think I'm a pretty competent coach and so on. But again, that Piers Morgan in my head telling me actually I'm pretty rubbish can be really difficult to deal with, can't it? So I'm guessing that there'll be people that are going into the new year and the new training regime sitting on their sofas at home thinking, I don't want to go back to rugby because I've put on a few pounds over Christmas. I've lost a bit of fitness. I'm not that good. Oh, join the play. line, bloody neck. Right. Exactly. So how do we go about addressing that then? I think it's just coming to a realisation that everybody is just everybody. So you've got no idea what goes on in someone's life. You've got no idea what's going on in someone's head. They might be faking it till they make it. And I think if you assume that everybody is feeling pretty much the same as you, then it takes a lot of the pressure off. 
So we all have body image worries or we all have the thing that we don't think we're making it, you know, a fraud, like I say, or imposter syndrome and all that. I think as a team, your teammates and your friends and your supportive of each other say, stop overthinking it. For God's sake, you've done it before, you can do it again. doesn't matter if you weigh two stone more than you did when you first started training. Who cares? doesn't matter. There's a place for everybody and the team includes everybody. So just remember that you were okay before and you will be okay again. I remember when I was in possibly my darkest, darkest ever place and I wrote down exactly how I was feeling because I thought I would never, ever feel better ever again. It's a great big stream of consciousness thing that I wrote down and I've kept it. And every now and again, I reread it and I look back and go, oh, my God, that was a really, really bad place. And I remember thinking I'll never get out of it. And I look back now and go, yeah, no, left that behind. I am out of it. I've come away. I, I might dip back in a little bit sometimes and, and go downhill. But actually, there is always a way out. You always get out of it. It doesn't matter whether you end up going to the doctors and get the medication or you go for counselling or you find some other way that works for you. It doesn't actually matter. It does end and it does get better. Personally, and I know a friend of mine did the same thing. I took a selfie when I was at a particularly low ebb and it's not nice to look at that picture because it isn't very nice seeing No, you can see it all can't you? You can see it in my eyes. You can see it in my tone. I look worn out, anxious, frankly broken. But when I look at that picture alongside pictures over the last six to 12 months, there's a noticeable difference. Again, even though maybe there isn't a, an instruction manual that comes with that to say this is the step-by-step -step process you go through to get out of it, because I don't necessarily think that exists, and it is also going to be different for everybody. Yeah, there's no one-size-fits-all, is there? No, absolutely. And it, above all else, it says it's not forever. Yeah. I distinctly remember better. thinking I would never, ever feel better. I remember thinking that and writing that down and thinking I'm never going to feel better. I'm never going to feel like me again. And then when you look back, passage of time has elapsed, whatever passage of time that is, and you just go, oh, yeah, okay, no, that's good. Yeah, I have come out of it. I am me again. So looking at it from a helping teammates perspective then, you and I have got a, a few years on the clock. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, in fairness, I think you're younger than me, so yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a sense of perspective. We're a bit more aware of the cycles and so on. For younger people, it's it might be the first time they're experiencing something like this. Mm. As a teammate, what are we looking out for that can trigger us to help people? Because helping yourself is the most impossible thing sometimes. Yeah, it's just noticing. So if you've got someone who always comes bounding in, they sort of start tailing back on that, then that's something to notice. We have a number of like WhatsApp groups with our team, but also I have contacted people separately just on the QT and just said, you know, you're looking a little bit under the cosh and a little bit withdrawn. Is everything OK? I think being a teammate also means being a good friend and being a good friend means just looking but really looking and listening so if someone is like not their usual self in whatever their usual self is normally it's just being an ear sometimes or just saying i am an ear if you want it you don't have to because not everyone feels like it but sometimes if you know that someone's spotted it it might give you the push to then acknowledge it yourself and maybe go and deal with it in another way if you know that someone else has spotted 
where you're at. I think it just feels very lonely and you feel like you're the only person experiencing this. I think when we talk about normalising the conversation, what we need to normalise is the sharing of what it actually looks and feels like. We openly talk about what happens when your knee goes. Yeah, I felt yeah. like I lost ability in my knee. I felt like I couldn't support my weight. I couldn't change direction. We talk about that quite openly, but we don't talk about I woke up in the morning feeling like I had no purpose in life. Yes. I couldn't motivate myself to clean my teeth. I stopped caring for myself personally. I started overeating. I've been drinking too much. We don't talk about that because we hide it and we're embarrassed by it. But actually, that's the key to unlocking a lot of this stuff. Definitely, yeah. Molly talks openly about her flaps. So um, <laughs> not that everyone wants to hear about the flaps. We all know about them. Look, if it makes people laugh, if she can talk about it all she wants, if people are sat at home and having a great day and they put on grassroots and they hear Molly talking about her flaps and it makes them laugh, Again. That, that's a great public service as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I think so, definitely. When you're feeling crap, it is really hard to clean your teeth. So my suggestion would be use mouthwash or suck them in. Don't matter. If you can't face having a shower, sit down and have a shower. Exactly. Again, if your leg's hanging off, you don't go for a run, do you? There's a lot to be said as well, for, and this is difficult, to ditch that Britishness where we're a little bit nervous about prying. We don't want to upset somebody. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We're actually just saying something is a good start. You're worried about them coming back and saying, what do you mean? I'm fine. You know, and feeling almost as if you've overstepped a boundary. I don't agree with that. I think... No. So what, actually? If people yeah. do come back and shout you down, fine. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I could have asked if you were pregnant, couldn't I? You know, and you weren't, so it could have been worse, couldn't it? I certainly look pregnant, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, I have done that before, and it is excruciating. But, you know, you kind of go, oh, sorry, it's the way you're standing. Oh, very sorry. <laughs> My sake. <laughs> and if they don't want to talk, they don't want to talk. If they don't want to talk to you specifically, that's also fine. There might be somebody else in the team that they'd rather talk to. Perhaps they just wanted somebody to notice that they weren't great. And sometimes that can be enough. This is an episode of Grassroots where we're going to talk about mental health. And I'm joined today by Jazz, Ruth and Rosie, who are players at Stourbridge down in the West Midlands. And they've joined us today to talk about their experiences of mental health within the game and within their team and squad. And, and I'm guessing some of you have had some personal experience of this as well. So welcome to the podcast. Love for you to tell us a little bit about Stourbridge and you know your team. <laughs> we all just pointed at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Who was taking that? Well, yeah. So, captain, <laughs> so judge yeah. your captain, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Were you given this job or did you ask for this job? I was definitely given it. Yeah. <laughs> She's well and her role. I've played rugby since I was about 12. So I've pretty much done most of the levels and played with a range of teams. I actually had a concussion that meant I had quite a while out. Well, a year and a bit. I don't know and was kind of trying to figure out how to get back into rugby but not go too far too soon and I bumped into one of the like original original Stourbridge rugby fit ladies at work and she was just like come along it's non-contact try it out everyone's super friendly there's like 30 girls uh, ladies I came along and loved it loved everyone Everyone here is like super friendly, super supportive of each other. And I think actually the club as well, compared to a lot of the clubs I've played at previously, yeah. are really supportive of us and, you know, give us access to the AGP and all that kind of thing. So it's just like a good atmosphere all round. I love the way every team I speak to says that. There must be some teams out there that is full entirely of dickheads. 
They've also <laughs> gone somewhere. Well, yeah, we've certainly had a few over the years. <laughs> I only started probably less than a year ago. So I moved from another wi- a wim- well, another woman's club, really, um, to come over here. I was looking for something a little bit different, a club that was supportive, back their women's team. I'd got coaches that were enthusiastic and, and wanted to develop the women's game. So it was quite a hard decision initially. We weren't happy at our previous club. And there was a collective group of ladies that decided to effectively transfer over to Stourbridge and I have to say for like the moment we joined it was a really positive experience the club immersed us with coaches you know rugby practices and just really developing us and supporting us as ladies really and I suppose the main thing to come out of it all is I've got a new set of friends I've got a team that are really supportive and we all genuinely actually get on with each other I know there's obviously um, definitely in competitive sport women can sometimes fall out but collectively us as ladies you know we've got really good relationships with each other and I think anyone within the team would say exactly the same Mm. yeah and what do you think is the the key recipe to that you've talked a little bit about you know the the fact that you get on really well the coaches are are great but what would you say is the, the core DNA of your team I've come to it pretty late in that um, it was kind of a case of if you can't beat them, join them. My children played rugby well before me and then my husband being a Kiwi is very, it's like a religion and so (laughs) it was a case of, do you know what, I'll have a go. There was an inner inner warrior camp here and I kind of carried on afterwards and like Rosie said, we kind of made friends and enjoyed it but I think it's just the a mixture of so many different personalities and different kind of enjoyments, different senses of humor. and But more than that, it's kind of building towards an end goal in a way, which is to have fun. But also we like to kind of challenge ourselves as well and want to do the best that we can. So at the beginning, it started as sort of rugby fit. And then I think our coaches, who were brilliant, kind of saw actually they really want to get on and do something with this and had high expectations for us. So we entered a league and we're doing really well. And so even if we lose, which thankfully hasn't happened too much, we've got a kind of a shared experience that just brings us close together with each game. So yeah, it's, it's the mixture. It's the, all of the above really. Starbridge as like a team, I think we're doing really well. Like the fact that as Rosie said, we've had, women do say women and I feel like it sounds wrong ladies or girls (laughs) join from another local club because you know they weren't satisfied with their experience and they weren't being treated in the right way like it just shows that we have such a strong kind of team and we've just got such a range of players as well we've got the girls coming up and we've got girls who are really excited to come and join the ladies we've got some older players like mums whose kids are playing and really want to get involved because they know that we're such like a fun cohesive team and then Mm. we've got all of the in between and it just seems to work like so well so I mean I think we're starting to get a name for ourselves we're starting to get people like interested we've had two girls come along on Monday obviously like our scores and stuff which We've only had one loss, we failed to mention. <laughs> 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 it's cool stuff. So, like, you know, we're building our reputation and stuff. So yeah. I think hopefully it can only go upwards. We'll start to see even more join. As we've kind of already said, it's the backing that we get from the club as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I remember you used in a previous podcast, which I thought was brilliant. Nice even down to, <laughs> down to things such as the kit. Oh, we've got yeah. 
good kit. It's not just what you said, which was just pink it and shrink it. I love yeah. that. <laughs> um, it's a it's a really nicely designed kit, and so yeah. when we play, it's an element of we look good and we feel good. Yeah. And you know, whether we had one person watching us or a crowd watching us, it, it, it's all part of the whole, really. And so yeah. it's really good for some people. They put their kit on, and if it isn't quite right, at worst they'll think, "Oh, I hate this kit. It's not very comfortable. I don't love it." But crack on. But at the other end of the spectrum, there's people that actually do not want to set a foot on the pitch because their kit is causing them so much anxiety. You've got to take that seriously as a coach and as a, as a club, because if people are feeling that the kit is a barrier to them to, to their participation, it needs fixing. It's quite interesting because I've been at so many clubs where we'll get like hand-me-downs mm. from men's teams and stuff. And honestly, when I tried this kit on for the first time, I remember I was late and I put it on in the changing room and I sent a picture to my boyfriend because I was like, I actually feel sexy in this rugby <laughs> kit. Like, what is going on? Women's kit is not like this normally. But no, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting to do some kind of poll, wouldn't it? Some kind of photo competition to see you know, who's got kit that they could actually describe as sexy because I think there'd be a very short <laughs> shortlist. <laughs> it might just be you, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the whole team feels the same way. So, Moving on to the mental health question then. Obviously, difficult place to start really with this. So I guess opening question for me is, what are your individual experiences of mental health? My experience is more from a, a professional point of view in that for many years, I was a Senko at a primary school. We would see children that learn in a variety of different ways. But more often than not, mental health, it sort of came alongside any kind of additional need and it was becoming much more prevalent in recent years for obvious reasons with COVID and and aspects such as confidence and resilience and the ability to kind of challenge themselves. In that respect, the mental health aspect at school, you, you could argue, okay, that's a primary school, but then moving from that to a group of women in a rugby team, there are very similar elements that occur with both, you know, that yeah. there's the getting your kit together and taking a step out the door to go to your first session or turning up every week to attend practice and enjoy it. And then sometimes, you know, you, you think, oh, I can't do tonight. It's just, you know, it's been a bad day and I just can't get my act together. So the similar aspects to all of it, I would say actually that in terms of just rugby in general, it's the most fantastic sport to get you to kind of just shake the day off and get down in the mud and just um, <laughs> and just kind of put it all behind you because you know that there's a, a team around you that will be there and just enjoy the experience together. And then whatever you have to go back to, whether it's back to the office or whatever, you've got the memories of the night before and mm. the banter that comes alongside <laughs> rugby is just brilliant as well. <laughs> That's another aspect of it. started playing rugby about four and a half years ago. Um, hadn't really got any experience with rugby, but I used a, a skill transfer, I suppose. I used to play netball. And I was at a particular you know, part of my life where I had an injury, hadn't gone back to playing netball and kind of wanted to take up a new sport. Wouldn't necessarily say I suffered with a particular mental health condition, but potentially low mood, feeling a little bit lost lost my sense of maybe identity and it was a friend really that pointed me in the direction and said oh why don't you try rugby and I kind of went oh no I don't want to get injured it's really tough Mm. I'm not strong enough had all those preconceptions and 
and thought, oh, maybe it's not for me. And I kind of went down and watched my local club and saw them training. And they obviously were really friendly and supportive and just kind of invited me to play a game of touch. And then the rest is history, really. And for me, rugby gives me a sense of identity, a purpose, and more importantly, a, a routine. And I think that's so important for people in today's society. I spend my day answering emails in a fairly high pressure job working with children and actually it gives me that breakout that sense of this is this is my thing and you know I can go on an evening twice a week you know and train and be with you know like-minded individuals and that's a really powerful drug and that's a really powerful you know sense of I suppose personal development and life and I suppose a life skill really for me Um, you mentioned a word there that I haven't heard through these interviews before and something that I think is very interesting and that's the idea of routine why is that important, do you think? Well, I suppose if you know, it boils down to from our childhood, we always have a routine, whether it's bath and bed or you have your meal at a set time. And, and routine really, I suppose, is the fundamental part of your day-to-day well-being, really. If you know that you've got, got to drink two litres of water a day, you've got to get your 10,000 steps in. There's lots of other parts of life which are routine-based and particularly, I suppose, giving yourself that time to have a routine that's for your own sanity and mental health and well-being is important. So I think lots of people don't necessarily identify with that straight away. And, mm. you know, it might be, you know, some people are into other things, like it might be gaming or, you know, it could be something completely different, going to the cinema and watching films. But for me, I definitely know I need to be around people and be doing something that involves physical activity, which isn't, I suppose, in isolation at a gym or or in a swimming pool. The Christmas period breaks that routine a little bit, doesn't it? And there'll be teams out there listening to the podcast and we will be experiencing at our club as well, where you go back into January training and there are some faces missing. That routine's been broken. The January blues or whatever it is take hold or, or you know, people like me, I include myself in this, of you know, maybe indulge a little bit too heavily in the uh, mince pies over the Christmas period. And you feel quite self-conscious and anxious about going back to training. And that breaking of a routine can actually be a lifetime thing rather than just a couple of weeks, can't it? How mm. a Stourbridge keeping engaged with their squad and looking out for people that are perhaps are missing and perhaps are finding going to training challenging with their mental health? I just think that our sense of community and like, Obviously, as we've all said, we all get on so well. We have a WhatsApp group. Sometimes I have to mute it because there's so <laughs> so many notifications. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. Thank goodness. Yeah. I, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm thinking, oh, my God, people have nothing better to do with their time, you know. Yeah, but. it's crazy. We're all super engaged on that. And, like, we're always checking in with people. I mean, we've had somebody over the last week say, look, I'm not feeling that great. But as a team, we've all been like, we're here for you just let us know what you need that kind of thing and everyone's obviously sending good wishes and and that kind of thing but like I even if someone's injured for example I just think we have such a good sense of community and that like they will come down and watch games and like they can still be involved Mm. in everything from the social to like helping out at training and stuff so I think we just unite I suppose I've never experienced it really but we've got such an open forum where people Mm. are really open about talking about their mental health and well-being and are happily to say in a group chat full of what would you say about 30 30 women Mm. and and our coaches that I am struggling and I've 
never been around a sort of a, a team or a community where we've openly done that and it's in, fully impartial and everyone's not judgmental in the slightest and I think that's very powerful in itself. I do think part of it is like our coaches as well like yeah. we've got some real soft coaches. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good thing ladies that's not a good thing you need to you know you need to get toughened up when you get into the big leagues. <laughs> yeah I think um, more tears have been shed by the coaches than by the players <laughs> <laughs> in a yeah. good way in a very good way Darren said he's going to listen to a podcast naked if we win an award at the moment <laughs> so we need to watch that I'm not sure that's healthy <laughs> so I had a mental health episode a few years ago that was completely out of the blue for me I, I probably had two or three years of low mood that wasn't abnormal because I could always excuse it with I'm stressed at work I'm tired I'm not sleeping very well I've got lots on my mind etc etc and that was kind of normal for me across my life but in short spells and then I kind of went into three years of not really being able to shake it to be honest and styling it out waking up in the morning self-medicating with caffeine or whatever it was to try and give myself a pick-me-up to sort of face the day and so on and it, it gradually became more and more insidious in my life and resulted in a fully unpleasant breakdown and at the time it was very shocking because I didn't feel like I was depressed because I kind of saw depression as being something other people had in my head depression was something darker than I was experiencing I suppose because I guess you know I had a good job I've married two young children what have I got to be depressed about so when I really did hit that low I felt a combination of shame and sort of shock and worry but it was really scary when I shared it with friends and those close to me because a surprising number of people and often people I didn't really predict came to me saying, yeah, that happened to me or that happened to somebody I know. Were people looking at me thinking, Matt's not right, but too frightened to say anything? Or was I just masking it really well? So for those of you that have been around people that have had mental health problems or maybe had them yourself or within your family, how can we help our teammates be more in tune with what's happening around them? So speaking from like my own personal experience and like seeing friends go through similar things, I think the biggest thing for me is just shutting down, just not engaging, um, which this is a difficult one because, you know, you don't want to push them or anything. And I suppose for a lot of people, it could just be that life is really busy and they just don't have as much time to talk to friends or something. But I personally think that like, if you're not hearing from someone for days on end, I will always check in on my friends at that point because yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> what's going on? What's new? They can choose to open up at that point. It's kind of linking in a way to the routine aspect that yeah. uh, if maybe a pattern of behavior doesn't seem quite right. You know, you've got yeah. someone who's like really engaged in the WhatsApp chat and then suddenly they're not for a little while. I mean, like Jazz said, it could be that they're just having a really busy time at work or whatever, but it only muted. takes a quick, yeah, or they're muted. 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 <laughs> but then we have had that and then suddenly the person's gone, I'm still here, you know. Yeah. It just takes that little message of, are you okay? And then it's up to them to choose whether they respond or not and more often than not because we're quite a close group it would be yeah yeah it's just a tough time at the moment and we tend to say we'll come down to training and run it off and then you know have a drink with us in the the club afterwards or whatever so looking out for changes and um just checking really the thing i found most difficult was you know as a guess, an intelligent person that 
has seen it happen to other people in the past, you know that the recipe for getting yourself out of a, a black hole of whatever it is, is doing things you like doing. It's rest and relaxation. It's exercise. It's spending time with people that you love and so on. But that is, it can be the hardest thing of all, can't it? Just getting out of bed in the morning can feel like an absolutely insurmountable task. But where rugby's concerned, where rugby groups are concerned, how can people help themselves and how can we help those people around us to lift themselves out of it? Firstly, is allowing that person, if you have got suspicions that they're maybe not tickly well or struggling with their mental health, is to allow them to, to open up freely. I think sometimes if you're trying to coerce someone or when they're not ready to speak about it, probably isn't the right time, but letting them know that, that you know, you're there and you have the ability to support them. But particularly relating it back to our club, it's just the case of, you know, you don't have to engage in, say, a session straight away. It could be, again, like uh, Jazz alluded to, come and watch us, come and stand on the sidelines, you know, and gradually get them back in. And sometimes having those conversations one-on-one in a small group situation might be quite powerful. I think certainly, again, looking out for those key signs that they may be struggling um, and, and trying, I suppose, different strategies to enable them to get back to a bit more of a normality. What can teams do better to make the environment supportive of mental health? The fun that you have off the pitch (laughs) is as important as the kind of the challenge on the pitch. And one thing that keeps coming up in my head, and it was at the time, I don't know how we did it, but in the lead up to Christmas, we had our Stourbridge Panthers advent calendar. (laughs) 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 Coach Darren, and every day you picked a panther and there was a daft picture opening the window on the advent calendar. And then just basically a whole long story that some of it might be a little bit true, but it was mostly just made up. And it was just the funniest thing uh, I'd read in a long time. And so if you could almost bottle that and just bring it out every once in a while when people are feeling a bit low, it's that kind of aspect. And it's so it's the fun and it's the banter up to a point. You know, you don't want to hurt Mm. someone's feelings. (laughs) So many times we've heard or read in messages, things like, oh, thank you so much, ladies, you've really perked me up Mm. today. You know, all of us kind of say those same things. One of the other things that the club have done is, like, we've done post-game analysis. And it sounds strange, but part of the analysis and part of the process that one of our coaches, Aaron, did with us was talking about stress and arousal in sport and how our feelings and emotions before a game can have an impact on our performance. Right. Um, And within that, it was talking about, you know, managing your diet, managing your nutrition before games, um, managing and being in control of that thought process. So certainly some of our newer players and myself included before a game, there's that level of anxiety, that level of stress that, you know, those butterflies in your stomach that some of the newer players haven't quite managed to control as of yet. And, and, And that in itself can manifest as maybe a player wouldn't turn up to the game because they were that nervous or it could be that they miss a training session those one of the things that the club have done and, and the coaches have, have talked to us about how to manage those sort of emotions yes. and being in the optimal state of arousal before we get onto that pitch you know putting our mobile phones away when we're getting changed switching off getting ready for the game thinking about what's going to be the first tackle what's my position what's my role and responsibility on the pitch and that's something that this club has you know spent great time yeah. on just educating myself and some of the newer players which was a really nice surprise for me yeah. to, to have that level of thought process and bringing in some of the sports science into the 
into the actual game. So I think that wow. in itself is quite powerful mm. to support us as a team. That's really interesting. I think that's something that our club could definitely do better. I guess last question, if I don't ask this, the other people on the podcast will tell me off. What's a shower at to get like at Starbridge? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always first in the shower and last out, so I can afford to just like at the end, just go all the way and then, yeah. <laughs> quite quite an open environment though. It is. Yeah. Good, We're glad like, to hear it. 50-50 hair washers. <laughs> yeah, it's not double doors, so there's only single door between us and the shower. So it's, if anyone accidentally comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be as hard enough without your equipment letting you down. From badly fitting shirts to shorts that cut off your circulation, Many sportswear manufacturers haven't worked out how to make kit that fits for the rich variety of women's shapes and sizes. After years of development, feedback and research, Halbro have done what many bigger sportswear brands have yet to achieve, designed a playing kit specifically to fit the female form. With curves in all the right places, four-way stretch and a cut to suit all shapes and sizes, Halborough are uniquely placed to give your team the shirts they deserve. For more information, contact Fergus at Halborough.com. To learn more about what Halborough can do for you and to see some amazing case studies, visit www.halborough.com forward slash women's hyphen rugby. And don't forget to mention Grassroots. What role do you think rugby can play in helping people through these periods? Uh, so can Stephen take it really, really seriously? The board have appointed actually my husband as the welfare officer for the whole of Stephen. So he's a fully trained mental health first aider through work and has brought that skill with him to the club. And what he's leading is each age group and each section to have a well-being advocate. So someone that checks in with people if they're injured, because that's something that we're really keen that we all pick up injuries, um, but actually keeping that contact within the squad to just say, okay, we know you can't play, but how about you come along and watch a, a training session just so that they still feel connected to to the family as such. So we put a lot onto that. We work really closely with the clubhouse staff. So big shout out to Debbie who runs our kitchen and our bar because she hears all the parents talking and she will feed again through any kind of concerns or worries that we're picking up there. So I think mental health is taken really seriously at at Kastiven. And I think the one family message means that people can feel free to to step through and say, actually, I'm really struggling. Can I just have a beer or have a chat over a bacon sandwich on a Sunday morning to say, actually, it's not about rugby, but this is going on just to make you aware so that when we are putting out messages for attendance and things like that, we understand the full picture of everyone's lives because we all live busy lives outside of rugby and be that work be that family be that illness it builds the whole picture and we have to make sure we look after the whole person not just the rugby player part of the person what do you think the game itself could do better to protect people's mental health yeah i think one thing that well certainly the ladies do and i'm sure the men the juniors all do exactly the same we do say in a debrief sounds a bit too official i don't mean it like that we think it's really important after games to talk about you know, say during the match, what perhaps we didn't do so well, what we did really well, and make it really well known that this is not down to one person. 
I think when you're on the pitch, you can definitely feel like the world is on your shoulders if it's you that's missed that tackle and then a try has been scored after that. We don't want that to be the case. We don't want people to feel that that's the case because it certainly isn't for us. The thing that I said to the ladies before we went out on Sunday for our first league game is, from the heart, I truly want everybody to go out there and enjoy themselves. They're not accessible to me. I don't expect them to achieve the world. I want them to go out there and leave that game and think, show what? I put 100% into that and I feel that, show what, I've really enjoyed it. I've had fun with my friends and I've actually remembered the reason why I'm doing this. Why am I going out there? What's the reason why I started rugby in the first place? And that's what I want everybody to always have at the back of their mind. Why am I here? Why am I going out to training sessions? Like I said, in the dark and in the rain. I'm not going out there to prove anything to anyone else. I'm going out there because it gives me something, whatever that may be. Um, And like I said before, you know, sometimes that can be a, shower I've just had a really really bad day and although I don't know that going to a training session is 100% going to make me feel better I'm definitely not going to feel that much worse by going and actually the amount of times I've kind of gone up there and I've been tired and just thought I just want to get in my pajamas and sit under the fire and not think about going outside but you go up there and it just makes you feel so much better. Even, you know, you do a drill that you think, shower, I absolutely nailed that. That was really good. The, the pennies dropped with that skill that I was trying to master. Or actually, you know, we've had a bit of a laugh with our mates as we're, we're doing a warm up and talking about how unfit we are. And God, let's blame it on the weather. That, <laughs> you know, it's just no matter what, when it, whenever you go up to rugby, you always feel better. You always feel you've spoken to somebody and sitting at home, you're not going to achieve that necessarily. I'd love to canvas a sample of a thousand players pre-training and after training and say, do you want to train? And at the end, are you glad you trained? I'd be a hundred percent certain or very close to that. Not a single one would say, I wish I hadn't come tonight. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that leads back really nicely into the core values of the RFU. Completely. Roll back through our minis. You could ask any minis player, what are the, the core values and they will know them and I think if you live by those core values and really embrace them so teamwork respect enjoyment discipline and sportsmanship you shouldn't ever get to a point where you're being blamed on the pitch for doing something wrong as Jade said she's always very much let's just try stuff the only way we learn is if we try and my little boy on Sunday there was a scrum and he kicked the ball out from the back of the scrum beautiful kick and then chased the ball down he's like oh it worked He'd done it a number of times in training and it hadn't worked. So to have that enjoyment to go, actually, I'm going to just try something. And that must be through the players, the coaches, the supporters. And we are really keen that that is the case at Kesteven. And if supporters step out of line, we all stand up and go, please don't speak like that. that that's not needed. We're here to play the game. Um, I think that that is vital for us. I'm Nick Joyce, 46, came to rugby early 40s really, Um, I forget the time has flown by, so I live in North Wales now, I run a adventure business which really came about about making sure it was inclusive for everybody to do and the benefits of the great outdoors, be it cycling or walking or mental health, so it's always been really close to me, I'm a prop, I'm driven by food need to snack every 30 you minutes. Do. I, I remember you having sort of little sandwiches and snacks in your kit bag quite regularly. Well, yeah, yeah everyone else brings half-time oranges on. I've got a full picnic <laughs> a going on. a pasting table with a yeah. cheese board. 
<laughs> it is. I like to keep it real. Yeah, keep it hard. Yeah. So you mentioned it's personal to you. Why is that, Nate? What's your personal experience of mental health? I was married quite early on. I have three children. Really high-powered. It sounds sort of grand, doesn't it? Really high-powered job. Working all hours as you do. You get sucked into that corporate lifestyle. Um, my husband at the time, really high-powered job. He hit burnout, total burnout, which was a quite a massive shock, really, because he was a amazing at what he did. You know, he just felt like he just sailed through stuff. I'm sure you won't mind me sharing it, but um, yeah, but there was just one morning he just couldn't get up, just couldn't get up, and to see that father, that businessman, unable to move, really, his body just shut down due to the stress and anxiety that you know, that had come about. So for me, I'd never experienced that at all. I'd never seen anybody have the, the sheer anxiety of not wanting to go out through that front door, not being able to, to do the one thing that they loved, which was driving a car without um, anxiety and, and the stress levels and the spiral of depression that that went into. It was really hard to watch somebody do. And I didn't know enough about it. So uh, my natural personality, I guess, is I'm the happy helper. I just want to make everybody smile, make sure it's all right, take the pain away. And with mental health, I couldn't do anything. I had to learn quite sharp. For me, I, 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 I kind of went down, as I usually do, a Google rabbit hole of information. And in some cases, probably a bit of information overload. And I realized quite quickly, it wasn't for me to sort or solve. The only thing I could do was just be there to listen, to support. And, but also, kind of guess I see it from the other side as well of um, what it's like for that person who's having to witness that person that they love go through that huge transition and anxiety and the, the mental strength and battle that they go through. You know, they're good days. They're really, really bad days. That's kind of my personal story where it comes from, which, uh, yeah, it was quite hard. You know, I had three pretty young kids at the time as well. I had a dad going through uh, end of life cancer as well. So it kind of mid thirties, it got hit me massively, which uh, made me really look at my own mental health and realise, you know, that there was quite a mask that I put on when I stepped out through my front door and I was probably carrying quite a lot around as well. So, um, you know, the more I researched, the more I saw the benefit of actually going to counselling or, or seeing my ex-husband go to those counselling sessions and that relief of having to be able to talk to somebody and opening up was just massive. And I'm in some ways, although I'm quite, uh, you know, outgoing, I'm a massive introvert as well. Um, and I really struggled with letting those emotions. I think I was frightened that if I started talking about it, I'd never be able to put it back in a box again. So, yeah, that's where my experience comes from was seeing it from the other side a bit, really. And then realising, actually, yeah, I needed to talk to somebody. I couldn't help and be the best person I needed to to support that person if... I wasn't in my best place as well. Supporting somebody that's having mental health challenges is very, very difficult. And people don't really understand the strain that that can put on households and on individuals, do they? I've seen both sides of it. I've had to support my wife who suffers from health anxiety from time to time. So I've seen her out of episodes where, a bit like your ex-husband, unable to really function as a working parent can be massively frustrating not to mention upsetting to see because mental health can seem to the person that's supporting the individual quite self-indulgent it can seem quite almost selfish yeah it's, it's huge like that it does feel like it's really yeah i remember 
quite and I, I, you know not proud of it really but i remember kind of standing there going well it's lucky for you to have that option just to go to bed or not to get up and you know just you know all those things you're not meant to say you know like pull yourself together sort it out you know why you have everything that you could possibly want in life you've got three beautiful children you've got a beautiful house an amazing job you've got money in your pocket how can you be sad Yes. You know, and saying all those things, now I realise that that's all irrelevant. It really, you know, ugh, awful thing to say to somebody when they're carrying that burden themselves anyway. I remember really vividly coming in from a very long day, coming in from Milton Keynes after a very long day at work. It was probably getting on nine o'clock. I had horrendous travel on the way back as well, you know, talking three and a half hours to do a, what would normally be a two-hour journey. Absolutely exhausted, tired, walking in and kids hadn't been fed and they were young at this point house in an absolute mess and there she was in a google nightmare researching the ailment that she felt that she had and her mind was very real i mean in her mind well you know dying of cancer and to somebody that doesn't get it that seems totally irrational it seems totally fantastical but also really selfish exactly as you said to come in and literally blow your lid makes me feel very ashamed I was never ashamed of what he was going through. There wasn't that stigma attached to it. I think it was more how I reacted to it. And in some ways, I probably overcompensated that then years later gave me the kind of burnout because I just wanted everything to be perfect or to take all the strain away from it as well. You know, I didn't want, I just wanted you to get better. I wanted you to get better. Um, So I'll just take everything else on board. But all that does is just move the problem to somewhere else, as in me. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, and I always think I've got more hours in the day than everyone else. That's why I'm notoriously late for everything. But um, (laughs) I just couldn't, I just couldn't physically do everything. And then, then, and the frustration comes out there as well. So when that person who's going through those real, real events for themselves and you're carrying the workload, you're carrying the full burden of it, it can be a real boiling point. You know, I wouldn't put it down to a art divorce. I think we both changed quite a lot significantly post that. I think the one thing I did do is I lost myself. I didn't know who I was at all as, as we kind of came out the other side of it. I think everything I thought I believed in or thought was wasn't. That is a big thing, I think, as you get over a certain age and you get out of those child dependency years, don't you? When our children are fairly young, everything's about them. Being brutally honest about it, we don't really look after ourselves, do we? We don't think about what makes us happy. We don't think about what we enjoy doing. We don't take care of ourselves particularly well. We just cope. All of our spare income goes on the children. All of our uh, leisure time is spent thinking about things that they might like to do you're tired because you're doing three shifts sometimes aren't you depending on the age of your children your job your children and then your marriage and you don't ever have time to really stop and think actually am I happy no and I think as well I think you you feel that taking time is is selfish whereas actually you need to take that time and you've got a partner um and you know they can take the the kids for half an hour or half a day or whatever having that time both sides mum and dad or mum and mum and dad now you've got to have that space you've got to be able to as i can be frequently found (laughs) now as i'm older just lying on the floor staring at the ceiling um (laughs) thinking of absolutely no seriously i do i'm a a nightmare for it um (laughs) 
<laughs> it just where's me? I was just lying on the floor with her feet on the wall, like a like a stroppy teenager, really. But I think just lying there. If you haven't tried it, you know, just get down from your desk and just go and lie on the floor and just look up like a toddler would do. Do nothing. It's so cathartic. Just everything just empties from your body. But there's this thing called I think it's in your. They call it stumping. And it's where you sit on a stump, like a tree stump. It has to be of a certain height so that you're at the right level. But you can just go and sit. So if you can find something to sit on where your knees are at a right angle, it has huge benefits for you. Because you've got to concentrate on sitting for a start. So that clears your mind of all the other thoughts. Anything like that where you can just escape. Personally, I could quite happily go and just stare at water. It has to be water for me. I can just go to a lake, go out my paddleboard and just stare and... Sometimes I end up wandering, sometimes quite alarming distances, just trying to recalibrate, I suppose. But it does make a big difference to how I feel. Yeah, and I think like you were saying, you know, when you've got a young family or a family or, um, and I think it's when you get older as well. I mean, I remember my mum telling me this and you just think, oh, it'll never happen. But you become parenting of your parents as well. So, I mean, I'm probably a couple of generations older than some of our team. So not only have I got teenagers now that need a different kind of parenting, I've got a mum who's aging as well, who I have to parent. So suddenly I'm kind of like this person in the middle again, managing all these different facets around your life. And this is where rugby comes in for me because it's my complete and utter escape where I have no responsibility (laughs) apart from my team and to uh, catch ball run forward. It's all I've got to do. One of those, two of those things I don't do very well sometimes, but... You know, that's all I've got to do. And it's a, a, a beautiful escape. You can't think of anything else when you're on that rugby pitch apart from doing your job. How did you get over the guilt aspect of ditching normal, responsible Nick life for dicking around the rugby pitch for 80 minutes? Because that is one thing that you hear talked a lot about by parents. And I definitely include myself in this. I'd often go to rugby when I was still playing completely distracted because I'd had to do 15 jobs before I even got there to justify having 80, 90 minutes, whatever, to to myself of an afternoon. That kind of guilt can really drive people away from the game, can't it? And the guilt can come from lots of different places as well. I think for me, what I liked to do is just add more onto my plate. So I think my justification is I'm there with the kids anyway. If I become part of the community there, you know, become the committee, maybe help with the club. I was kind of like offsetting it, kind of making it like, well, this part, me being chair or me being part of the mini and junior section, that's a job. And that kind of buys me um, rugby tokens to go and then play, you know. <laughs> so like, well, I'm doing that. So I'm kind of giving something back, rightly or wrongly. That's how I justified at times my time. And the game is probably not so hard to justify and I don't get the guilt from that. I, I'd get the guilt for me comes when I don't play a game and I know my team is short or, um, you know, that I get guilt from that side as well. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah <laughs> good yeah but the guilt from training as well you know that wednesday night you know you've got to get there for seven o'clock you've got kids going to however many different things you've got to get tea on the table it's like do i eat first do i do eat after you know there's just so many plates you've got to juggle and sometimes stuff has to give and you know we went through a period as a team where it, the training was really felt very pressured you know there was a huge pressure to go to training and I think that was because we had a group of people around who weren't really aware of what family life was like. 
you know, they couldn't really comprehend why, why, why can't you just come for seven o'clock? Well, you know, well, this one goes to bed and I have to get this one back from this place. And there's still work calls to do. And um, I don't even know my own name at the moment. So I, I, I just can't get there. So I think it's really important for anything that you do that, yeah, managing your guilt. You know, if you can't make training and it's not just because you can't be asked, but, you know, you have stuff on, that's okay. You're not going to be productive at training if your head is full of the 20 million tasks. I mean, the best one is kids. I mean, everyone will get this who's got children, especially in high school. They usually drop on you as you're walking out the door with your rugby kit. They have home ec tomorrow oh, and we'll be yeah. cooking Cockavan. And can you get these 20 million ingredients? Yeah. It's never rock yeah. cakes either, is it? No. In a crock on bouche, we need 500 different types of ingredients. Yeah, it will be a Sunday, just as you walk off the pitch, you know, you've won a game and you're all excited, like, oh, here, mum, here's my shopping list. And all you've got is the local co-op with the other 30 kids' mums going into the local co-op to buy the same ingredients at, you know, half past six. You know, you're still covered in mud, probably a black eye. You know, it's not a great look. It's just, yeah, you've got all of those things to juggle. So guilt is massive. But I think as well, even if you're not, if you haven't got a family and you're living life, you're going to have that guilt. But for me, the guilt, the playing and the mental relief that playing the game has offsets that guilt. I think there's two messages for me. One is don't worry about missing a training session because we're busy people. You're not a professional rugby player. Don't worry about it. As a coach, much as I'd love the squad there every single week, it's not possible. We understand that. Don't worry about it. But the second point really is make sure you talk to coaching staff and your captains, vice captains, or whatever, about the challenges you have. Because it's very hard for a 25-year-old who's totally committed to rugby, maybe single, maybe no family at all. It's very hard for them to empathise with the reality of doing a stack of ironing at nine o'clock on a Sunday night with a dead arm and a twisted ankle, which I've done myself. It's something that is a massive barrier to working parents in the game. There's another point as well, which I think is really important, is there's a big difference between being too busy to go training and feeling intimidated by the training environment because either the training environment is intimidating or your mental health is in a particularly bad place and it's becoming an increasing challenge for you to do that kind of thing. Have you been that person, Nick, where you feel you just don't feel like you're up to it? You don't feel like you're good enough to go training? You don't feel like you... Oh, oh my God, I have complete and utter imposter syndrome um, in all of my life Um, and it's one of those things I am desperately trying to work on at the moment especially you know with the, with the the business I do and the job you know I uh, I promote adventures and I very rarely get out on the mountains because I'm working so you just don't feel good enough you know everybody else just seems to be on it and there's me rocking up you know the half a shoe on and not fit enough and ne- you know I never I never feel fit enough I never feel I know the game enough even down to the coaches giving an example of you know we're going to do this drill and I'm standing there going no no idea he's just said lots of words I've got absolutely no idea what I'm doing I'm letting my team down I need to ask a question I don't ask a question because it's like I'm going to be chatting and I'm not paying attention oh yeah it's just the mental inner voice horrendous not great because I'm a huge overthinker as well so cards on the table though Nick how much of that was sitting at the back talking to Sherry so me and Sherry are quite similar on that way you know we our Sunday mornings were military Just in case, A, either I end up in hospital, so my kids need to eat. So you're batch cooking because, you know, it's probably really hard to do that when you've not got any arms to cook meals for children. 
Um, and it, one of my three could have ended up in A&E. So I'm always planning on that. And then all the tasks, I just had to get everything military done. So when I finished on Sunday, no matter what state my body was in, our life could function. But yeah, there was a lot of time. And sometimes it's such a social place as well. You know, sometimes you can be, and I've had this with, with a few of my teammates, where, you know, I, you can kind of see that they're not in a great place and you can just be doing a drill and they'll just say something and you'll go, okay, I, I need to listen. I need to listen to them. And, and it's a bit like, you know, they say the best way to talk to teenagers is to like do it in a car because you're not making that eye contact so it doesn't feel uncomfortable. Actually passing that ball back into, it's amazing what comes out. And, you know, and if someone's going to ask for help, Wednesday night in the pitch black, just as the floodlights haven't come back on, it is a kind of safe environment to do that. And I've had that a few times. Many thanks for listening to part two. We hope you found it interesting and helpful. As always, if you want to come on the show to talk about your team or rugby in general, please get in touch at grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. This was Grassroots, women's rugby from the roots up.